Welcome to my podcast, The Cross in the Desert, Speaking Hope and Freedom to Iran. I'm your host, Randy L. Noble, and I want to say thank you so much for taking time out of your busy life to join me today on my podcast. Today on The Cross in the Desert, I'm continuing my exciting, in-depth, chronological study of the great book of Revelation. Now, for those of you who may have just started listening to this series, you want to catch up to where I'm at right now. Please go to Spotify, type in The Cross in the Desert, Randy Noble, and then you will see a list of the titles of my program come up. And that's where you begin from the last one to this one so that you can catch up. Today, I am beginning this very important topic of the return of Christ and the Millennial Temple. On my last podcast, I talked about the fierce destruction of the great city of Babylon, the headquarters of the Antichrist. And with the destruction of that important city, Then there was the magnificent, glorious return of Jesus. And I just touched on Revelation chapter 19, which describes Christ returning with us to defeat the armies of the Antichrist at Armageddon and to establish his millennial reign on the earth. Today, I want to continue this feature of the magnificent, glorious return of Christ that the church has longed for, that the church has waited patiently for, and has prayed for. And Christ is returning now to defeat all evil, to destroy the armies aligned against Jerusalem, and to bring about his millennial reign on the earth. And so I want to start today with Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. John says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, that is crowns, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, that is us, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, which he uses to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Christ is returning with his church. That's you and me. We were raptured seven years before this incredible great tribulation period began. This seven-year period is come to an end with the destruction of the city 
of Babylon, the literal city. And Christ is returning to avenge his church, to avenge our blood, to trample down on all the enemies of Christ, to bring an end to the Antichrist and the false prophet, and finally bind Satan. And in Revelation 19, we see our just God, our coming prince. All of the fairy tales you've ever read, written or read before in the past has the prince coming in to rescue the damsel in distress. Well, that's our Jesus coming in to put an end to the rule of evil and to establish righteousness. And he comes riding on this white horse and he is called the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now, what happens next? This is very important to understand. And what I want to do right now is quote from a very fine prophecy scholar. His name is Jimmy DeYoung, and I've used his teachings throughout this book of Revelation series. And from his book, Revelation, a Chronology, I want to just spend a couple of minutes summarizing what happens now as Jesus and his bride returns to the earth. The armies gather in Jerusalem to take on Jesus Christ as he returns with us out of heaven. He steps back onto the slope of the Mount of Olives. The heavens open up and Christ comes out, Revelation 19.11. The Jews are under attack. All of Jerusalem is surrounded and is being destroyed. Then Jesus Christ, the Messiah, returns. He defeats the enemies that are there in Jerusalem. Now, the survivors will make their way up the valley, all the way about 97 miles to the Jezreel Valley. Meanwhile, Jesus will build his temple right there in Jerusalem. He establishes Jerusalem as the center focus of the state of Israel. The city becomes 2,500 square miles and is lifted up. The Temple Mount, a square mile, is also lifted up. Then Christ, the Creator God, who is also Jesus, a human carpenter, builds his 21-story-tall temple on top of that new mountain, on top of that massive new plateau. This is a landmass promised to the Jewish people that God made in the covenants. And at this time in history, it is reestablished and given to them, and Jerusalem is reconfigured as a city. Now, after this is done, after Jesus does this with the landmass and rebuilds his temple, he goes to the Jezreel Valley. He opens his mouth, and out comes the sharp two-edged sword. That is the powerful word of God, and he casts the people dead. The blood flows as high as the horse's bridles for 176 miles. And Jesus walks through that valley of blood from the Jezreel Valley all the way to Petra. Remember, in the last three and a half years of the tribulation period, God protects his people. They flee to the city stronghold of Petra, and they're kept there safely. Jesus returns. He gathers his people, brings them back into the city of Jerusalem and up onto the Temple Mount. He then goes into the Holy of Holies and establishes his kingdom. This temple, of course, is a memorial to the sacrificial system, a memorial to the Jewish history of the temples. Of course, we don't need the temple to worship anymore in. Jesus is our great high priest. 
He is the one that we look to for salvation. And in this rebuilt temple, if you will, this millennial temple, which is different from all the rest, because Christ is our great high priest, it's much different than the old sacrificial system in the old temples. And it's very important that we understand that. Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48 gives us an eye-opening view of this new temple. In the new temple, there are no walls of partition. Remember, Christ has torn down the middle wall of partition. We have access now through Christ, our great high priest, into the Holy of Holies, to the very throne of God because of the blood of Christ. So in the new rebuilt temple, in this new millennial temple, there are no walls of partition. And this new temple has no table of showbread. Why? Well, because Jesus is our bread of life. We feast upon him and his word. The new temple, the millennial temple, has no menorah. Well, that's very simple because Jesus is the light of the world. And of course, this millennial temple has no veil because through his death and resurrection, the veil of the curtain in the temple at that time was torn. And all of us have access to the very throne of God through the death of Christ. In this temple, this memorial to the Jewish temple, we will rule and reign with Christ forever. And we will have specific duties. I want us to understand that this is very important for us to understand. We will have specific duties as kingdom believers ruling with Christ. Now, Revelation chapter 19 Verse 15 talks about what happens after the building of this temple. As I've mentioned before, Jesus goes up to the Jezreel Valley. He speaks the very word of God, destroys all of the armies that were gathered there against Jerusalem. Revelation 14 20 says about the scourge of this battle and the wine press was trodden outside the city. And blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia, which means 176 miles. Now, in this final battle of Armageddon, after the Millennial Temple is built, Revelation 19, verses 17 through 20, tells us what happens next. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, And with a loud voice, he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both slave and flea, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth were their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against the army. And the beast was captured, that is, the Antichrist was captured, with the false prophet, they're both alive. These are the ones that had done the signs by which they deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two, that is, the Antichrist and the false prophet, were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. It is a horrible, horrific scene. But Christ is victorious. 
evil has been conquered and righteousness is about to reign forever. The next phase after the return of Christ is the establishment of his thousand-year reign from the literal city of Jerusalem. Revelation chapter 20, verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. And after that, he must be released for a little while. There is no reason in biblical interpretation to spiritualize this text, as many church traditions have said, that what they try to say is the thousand years is not literal. But what that means is that between the first and coming and second coming of Christ, Satan is bound through the preaching of the gospel. Now, what we have here is a problem of spiritualizing texts. There's no reason to say that because in Revelation 19, you have the mighty return and the triumph of Christ. And chronologically speaking, the next event to happen is a literal event where Satan himself is bound in the bottomless pit by an angel so that he might not deceive the nations any longer. It's during this period, chronologically speaking, and literally speaking, that Christ himself will rule and reign in Jerusalem at this millennial temple with us, his saints. There will be the resurrection of the just and the unjust, and then he recreates the universe and the heavens and the earth. And the Bible says in Revelation chapter 21, which we'll get to later, that he will wipe the tears away from our eyes. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain. This is perfection. This is the eternal state to come, which follows the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth. This is a beautiful story. It is the beautiful longing of our heart to see that the evil that has tormented the church, the evil that has perpetuated such disaster and death upon the earth, will come to an end with the return of Christ. He is the hope of the church, the hope of the world. There is no other solution to our problems. We cannot remake this world through social justice programs. We cannot change the hearts of men through government programs. Only Christ can do that. And Revelation 19 dramatically depicts that the only hope for mankind, the only hope for the chaos in this world is the return of Christ. And when Christ returns, this is what will happen. And there's much more to come. But for today, I want us to understand something. Jesus, our Savior, is in control. He is the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. If you have never trusted him as your Lord and Savior, today is the day for you to reach out to him, to cry out to him, 
God will show you his truth. He will reveal it to you. Those who seek him will find him. That is the promise of scripture. Christ can come into your heart and mind, can cleanse you from all of your sin and guilt, and give you a new beginning, a new heart, a new spirit. To know him is to know eternal life, forgiveness of sins, and peace with God. I've been doing this series not only to teach the greatness of the book of Revelation, but to persuade you to know the theme, the very center, the very heart of the book of Revelation, and that is Jesus. We receive him as Lord. He becomes the one who is the captain of our lives. He is the one that leads and guides us. And the Bible says he is faithful and true, Revelation 19, that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. If we look to anything or anyone else, we will be sorely disappointed. And the Bible says there is coming a day when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Today on the cross in the desert, we have looked at the dramatic end of human history and the beginning of the blessed thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth, and yet... There is much more yet to come in this fantastic book. I want to say thank you so much for joining me today on my podcast. Join me next time for the next episode in a chronological study of the book of Revelation. God bless you and have an incredible week.